welcome to episode six of Engagement Zone podcast. This week in the news, uh, the new Bond film has been announced uh, with the great uh, Oscar-winning Rami Malek set to play the Bond villain. Uh, makes me wonder how many more episodes of this podcast we'll have done before that movie hits our hits our theatres. Um, this week, our, with our guests, we traverse back across the Atlantic to probably one of the most eventful places, cities on, on the earth right now. Never a dull day there. At Washington, D.C. Our, our esteemed guest, um, uh, I'm, I'm really pleased to say, is a judge for us in North America this year. Uh, it's uh, the Do- Dr. Russell Robinson, uh, Doctor of Education, and currently working as Director of Organization, Development and Leadership for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So uh, bringing a real different uh, perspective from all our other guests so far. So w- welcome, Russell. H- how are you doing this week? Good morning. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing pretty good. Good, good. What, what What's new with you at your end? Uh so uh, I was spent last weekend in, in Costa Rica. I turned 50 last Friday. So uh, oh, my wife yes, and I you. got away for a quick holiday and I'm trying to stay there mentally as much as possible <laughs> on the back end. Fantastic. Well, happy birthday. I didn't know that. You kept you kept that quiet. So congratulations. Oh, the gray hair shows. I think people can tell. <laughs> uh, would you recommend Costa Rica as a place to visit? Oh, Costa Rica was great. Now, mind you, my whole goal, the whole purpose was to do nothing. So normally when we uh, travel and go to the Caribbean, we like to get out off the tourist path and get out yeah. and explore. But for this one, we just never left the resort. <laughs> We uh, got some sun, got some reading in, relaxed, but I recommend it to highly. Awesome. Well, I, I, I spend my uh, Easter weekend uh, eating too much chocolate, so uh, undid all the good work I'd done the promise the previous week. Well, I did learn a definite lesson about all-inclusive, so uh, yeah. I immediately got back in the gym when I got back. <laughs> so, um, so, Russell, uh, how did you find your way into employee engagement? Because you've got a really interesting, uh, interesting past. And so how did you find yourself working in this field? Uh, well, I like to I really like to consider myself an adult learner. Um, and when I when I tell my story, I always say uh, I got into the government about 20 years ago. And uh, I, I mean, I'm working for my fourth agency now, but I think those first two agencies I literally worked for what can be described as as a murderer's row of just bad and dysfunctional management. Wow. (laughs) I mean, if there was if there was a I remember I worked in one agency and if there was a fantasy league of uh, bad dysfunctional managers whose whole goal was to create a toxic culture. I think at one point I worked for that version of the Golden State Warriors. So I always I always knew there was something missing about leadership. And then when I started my doctoral studies, I really started to get driven towards employee engagement. And I would look at the academic research and then compare that to what practical applications were being done by consultants. And I think, and I say this when I train, I've been at four agencies. So when you've got engagement and disengagement, I've touched every spectrum in every agency. And I was looking at some of the academic research and some of the practical solutions and saying, you guys aren't talking to the employees. These solutions aren't going to work. You guys are missing the mark. And it just, it piqued my curiosity. So I just started to explore deeper and deeper. And then uh, I think then I started, I remember uh, I had started a job 
and I was at an all staff meeting and I was pretty new and the whole you sitting in the room, you could tell the vibe was just off. And when the meeting opened up for Q&A, you could there were crickets in the room. And then after the meeting, you could see people huddled up at the water cooler. The, the, the all the questions that should have been asked in the all hands meeting were now being asked in different groups afterwards. And uh, that and that started to pique my interest in voice. So do you think having gone through what you described as murderous row of, of toxic culture and managers, uh, maybe going to the fourth fourth one, um, you, were, you were driven to do more about it yourself? Uh, you, you couldn't handle another toxic culture, so you thought you might try and t- take control? Well, I think, yes. And, and I think part of that is, uh, to be fair, in, in those four agencies in 20 years, uh, I am a better follower and a better leader than I was back then. Uh, I, I tell people now when they go on interviews that, uh, not only are they interviewing you, you're interviewing them. So I think, I think the agency I'm at now, uh, I've really just, and actually starting before then, I think going back to maybe 2012 or so, I have just had stellar leadership. Uh, you know, part of that's luck. Part of that is doing better due diligence. Uh, I don't, I don't like working for micromanagers. So during the interview process, I asked the questions to find out whether the leadership, whether the culture is heavy on micromanagement. Uh, and that being said, I'm also a better leader. Uh, there's, I've looked at my research and said, Hey, here's things that I do really well. And you know what, here thing, here are also things that if I'm going to do an honest self-assessment and be vulnerable that I could do better. And uh, I also try to share that with, uh, with my followers so that I can uh, be that model. You able to share any, anything you've done at the U.S. Department of Health? Um, so a lot of what we've done is, uh, I mean, my main goal is uh, to provide training and, uh, and, and, and engagement. And we've done some stuff to increase our, our FEVS scores, which is a federal employee viewpoint survey, which is the annual climate survey for the federal government. So across the, the indices we've used, uh, in the past two years, we've had double digit percentage increases. And we've also looked to, uh, to bring a, a voice culture into the agency. Now, I've heard you mention employee voice before. Is this something that you think is vital? Yeah, well, it's it's vital, but you also have to understand what it's supposed to represent and why it doesn't happen. So, so I view voice from the organizational uh, behavior aspect, which is uh, voice represents ideas, thoughts, concerns that employees have to improve the organization. It's an idea you have to improve the organization and voice is your decision to share that with the change agents. Conversely, silence is you have an idea and for whatever reason you choose to not share it. So briefly, the reason why people don't share mostly is either fear of retribution or or futility. They don't think their leaders will do any, the leaders change agents will do anything with it. And they do share because of relationships with the supervisor, feelings of empowerment, feelings of value toward the organization. So at a larger level, there's this aspect of if I'm a leader, if I'm a director and I've got three level, a three level reporting hierarchy, 
I don't know what's going on on that front line. And I need to know what's going on on that front line because that could impact my business. Uh, that could impact our relationships with customers. That would impact that would impact all of the organizational and and individual outcomes of engagement. So it's very critical. Yeah, so I'm just, uh, I was still thinking about futility and, and retribution. Uh, what, what must be going through somebody's mind to, to stay silent? Um, how does an organization, in your opinion, um, go about um, uh, making, making that voice be heard uh, and reducing the, the amount of silence that lies within an organization? Well, I think the, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to do some form of assessment. You've got to figure out what is our culture like? Do we have do we have a voice culture? Do we have a silence culture? Are we heavy in groupthink where where dissent is not valued? Or do we have a culture like uh, Adam Grant had some research on Bridgewater Associates where like dissent is brought into performance plans where they want they want as many different voices as as they can. Then from that point, you have to decide do you really want the voice culture? Uh, you know, on top of futility and retribution, long story short, there are a lot of leaders that just don't care about having that voice. Yeah. Well, they think they know. Well, there's there's research now. Uh, I was in New York at a conference uh, a few weeks ago, and there was a presentation by Neural Leadership Institute, really good, and it talked about power. And what it really said was, as people, they've got data that says as people become more powerful, they become more goal and outcome focused than, let's say, customer centric, as opposed to the process that produces those outcomes or employee centric. You know, the, the data says that naturally happens. So as you become more powerful, your natural inclination is to focus on that bottom line and that outcome and that if you're not careful, can slowly migrate to a position where you're not hearing from all of the people. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. Um, where, where did you say that came from? Uh, something done by the Neural Leadership Institute. I don't know whether they finished the report yet or or still in process, but it was it was really really good data because if you're if you're going to if you do this assessment and you're going to a voice culture. Then that's change management and change management is really about who's gaining and who's losing power. So then it really becomes about power. If people are gaining power, uh, you want your employees to articulate voice. How are you creating that culture and the skills where they will articulate that voice? If people are losing power, then at the end of the day, it's really about what's in it for them. So what is it about them losing power to benefit the organization that's going to make them want to buy in and not resist. And I think that's where, I think that's where a lot of the consulting and research is kind of missing the mark. Cause it's always focused on, Oh, you, you just need to have honest conversations with employees about their performance, or you need to just ask employees about how they feel without doing that, that assessment that says, why don't they feel comfortable? Uh, Instead of focusing on voice, am I focusing on creating a culture where voice is is wanted? And like you say, I think it's really important that it, it does link back to, to, to business outcomes as well, because um, you get greater buy-in. For, for me, employee voice, um, many people see a term and think different things. What I see uh, quite often is actually 
being able to uh, going back to the idea of silence actually is the ideas that employees have to better the business or organization um the the ip they own um that you want them to share to volunteer uh to to help improve um uh, processes and 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 the bottom line um we've seen it time and time and again um both all, all around the world america uk australia companies that are employee idea hungry um and actually then use those ideas, uh, do transform businesses that they perform better. Uh, one of our winners um, uh, in North America two years ago um, brought a, a group of uh, um, rocket scientists, basically the one of better word, together, and uh, they had an ideas forum. And what was born out of that saved, saved them within three months, $5 million or something stupid. Um, and so that, that shows the power of what can be done if you actually empower your uh, employees uh, to and listen to their ideas. So I always think employee voice, employee ideas, and, and what businesses must be walking past every day by by either um, creating a culture of silence or, or not uh, not listening to what they have to say. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm with you on that one. Um, I also, we, we try and keep our podcast short, but I think one of the reasons we do that is um, time is a premium in everybody's, everybody's lives these days. And if, if people want to reach out to our guests afterwards, then we, we know we, we do – we do um, uh, back back that up, um, and, and our guests are always keen to keen to speak speak about what they do too. So, um, what I do want to touch on before uh, this episode finishes is I know you like the academic side, Russell, um, and I think you've started some research um, that will be quite interesting to hear about, and, and what you what you plan to do with that. Uh, so, yeah, I've got a few research projects going on. Um, one of my classmates at, at George Washington is now a professor at Northern Kentucky, uh, Dr. Nicole Dillard. And her focus is really on uh, critical race, black feminism, that aspect of uh, diversity and inclusion. And when we look at the employee engagement research, it really very rarely delves into intersectional aspects, race, gender. So we're doing research exploring employee engagement as it relates to black female leaders, uh, oh, wow. how, how they feel engaged, but also how they lead engagement. And uh, we're interested with that research uh, from a voice standpoint where we talk about that structure of silence. So are you, are you, are you actively looking for, to, for black female leaders uh, to, to speak with or? I think we've got, I mean, we're always looking for people. I think we've got a, we've got a nice little pool, but, and, but we're really focusing on public sector also. Right. So they work for some level of, uh, uh, and not just, uh, not just in the States. I mean, we've got a, a, a couple participants from over in Europe, but, uh, uh, women of color, black female public sector leaders were looking for their stories. You know, at the end of the day, uh, my goal is not to tell my story. The goal is to tell other people's stories. We, we might have some really good uh, good people um, to talk to from our, our business down in Africa, actually, because, um, you know, from across Nigeria, South Africa and, and, and Kenya. So Ooh. let me know because uh, they might be able to connect with some, some really, really interesting people. Yes, sir. A uh, couple more. Um, 
I'm really interested in some of uh, my conversations and experiences, and especially from a voice standpoint, where you talk about silence and that silence culture mm-hmm. and the impact of organizational silence from the aspect of emails. So then I look at it from the standpoint of you've got leaders who sometimes get four or 500 emails and what is their process to respond to emails or not respond to emails? Uh, I used to work at the Department of Veteran Affairs and our secretary uh, was a the former CEO of Procter & Gamble, Bob McDonald. And he answered, he gave his email address out to all 300,000 employees and asked him and asked them to directly email him. And I would email him a couple of times and supervising and leading 300,000 employees, he would respond to every email within 12 hours. Conversely, you have leaders who don't have that ability or haven't put in the process to respond to emails, but no one ever looks at what is the impact on that voice culture of not responding to emails? So if you're if you're telling employee leaders you need to have honest conversations with employees at performance to promote voice, but you have a leader who never ever responds to email, how does that impact that conversation? Uh, the last one, as you know, because uh, you and I are uh, are huge uh, football or soccer, as we say in the states, or both football and soccer. Well, and I'm Manchester United and you're Arsenal, so we can talk about that from uh, disengagement <laughs> and some of the impacts oh, there. And the Jets and the Redskins, so, you know, but both, both at the moment. Well, yeah, you know, and the Redskins, you know, that, that really gets into culture. So, uh, so there's an aspect where I'm looking at uh, retired NFL players and talking to them about their engagement experience. And then there's also, I've really started to look at leadership management, especially from the soccer standpoint. Uh, you, you know, I'm a big fan of Sir Alex Ferguson and just the aspect from talent management where his goal every year was to say, do we have the best start? How do we com- How does our best starting 11 compete with compared to Barca and the Bayern Munichs and the Reals, but then also what type of squad do I envision three years down the road? Who from the youth academy is ready for the first team? Who on the first team is maybe getting a little long in the tooth? So, and there's really not a lot of employee engagement research focusing on sports. And lastly, uh, something I picked up in Costa Rica, I read Edge by Ben Littleton, who's a writer for The Guardian, which was which is a book that really looks at uh, football, soccer, and how it relates to business. And there was a nice uh, chapter on Didier Deschamps, the uh, manager of the World Cup French team, and how he creates a voice culture within the team and within the locker room. So I'm really intrigued with that and working those three research projects right now. Well, well you, you don't like to be—you don't like to have a lot on your plate, then, Russell. <laughs> no, no, and I've actually just submitted grade. I'm an adjunct professor, so I've actually just submitted grades and closed out a semester. So I'm, I'm excited to take somewhat of a mini break. Yeah, well, uh, you know, good, good luck with all that, and and if we can help in any way, or if, you know, anybody wants to reach out to Russell if they think they've got some some ideas, uh, then I'm sure he'd be glad to hear them. Um, a couple of things. Um, uh, Southampton Football Club won Company of the Year in the UK, uh, soccer club um, for those in the States, um, won Employee Engagement Company of the Year in the UK two years ago. And they basically had to go about uh, creating a culture um, 
that went straight through the club from the backroom staff to, to the players themselves uh, and actually try to recruit players based upon that culture. Um, so if they were relegated and they would still they would still act and behave it along with their cultural values uh, and it was an amazing story that saw them in in, in dire straits almost um, in the lower leagues to going all the way through to promotion in the premiership so um, that that would be a good story to look at um, I really interested to see the research that you do publish because I always find or or have doubts about how a sporting franchise can create a culture, uh, a, a, a non-toxic culture almost, because it always seems like it's the leader's way or, or the highway, so to speak. Um, and uh, so I, and one question that jumped out to me when you mentioned Ferguson and how he could have the best team, I just want a quick, quick question, short answer. Who do you think is the better coach, Belichick or Ferguson? Uh, Bill Belichick being obviously the, the head coach of the New England Patriots and Alex Ferguson of Man- Manchester United. I just think Belichick seemed to have a worse team every year uh, versus Ferguson and all his millions uh, to spend. So, I just, who do you think? Who do you think's better? Who do you think's better? Um, so I would go with Sir Alex. So Belichick and the Patriots. I mean, they've they've got six Super Bowl trophies. Yeah. Um, but. That culture is very heavily focused on identifying the two or three stars, yeah. and you don't you don't hear good stories from the the players who who didn't get the second contract or who left. You know they've got a structure where they've got stuff slotted. Um, you know, before we started recording, we talked about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as Skolar at Man United, but Ferguson had a way of catching that group when they were at the end of their career, talking to them about getting their coaching their coaching badges. And now you see them coming in and coaching that youth academy. And I mean, if you look at uh, toward the end of Mourinho and and now with with Ole, the former players still talk about Man U like this is our team. Yeah. You know, and these are the people like you look at uh your Rio Ferdinands who who have le- or or Patrice Evra who have left the club in their last two years once it was determined that this person wasn't first team starting 11 quality for the salary, but they always find a way to make their way back in. And I think part of that, uh, I read uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's book, Leading, which is a phenomenal leadership group book. But he actually talked about when they, uh, Carrington designed the kitchen. He wanted to create a kitchen where all of the youth academy players and all of the starting 11 and first team players were all there together. And you create that culture. So whenever someone from the youth academy comes up to that starting 11, there's always pictures of them as an 11, 12 year old with the Wayne Rooney's, with the Cristiano Ronaldo's, but also focusing in on making the kitchen staff feel like they're part of your part of this team, helping these players and helping us win trophies. So with that, uh, I, I think it's pretty it's pretty honest where uh, with uh, Sir Alex, I take him over Belichick any day. <laughs> That's a great answer, um, and I think you've uh, you've you've swung me around actually. So, um, so thank you very much, Russell. Um, I didn't know where that conversation essay would go, and and speaking about Bill Belichick and Alex Ferguson at the end definitely wasn't in my, in my imagination. So that that was very interesting. Um, thanks for sharing your your views and insights. Um, 
Russell will be uh, at our conference in New York this June and we'll also be planning to publish some of his his work um, through our through our mechanisms newsletter website social media and in, in the future as well so um, just for now to say thank you so much Russell uh, for your time uh, and looking forward to seeing you in, in, a, in a, about eight weeks time and um, yeah thank you very much for being on engagement zone Hey, thanks, Matt. Redskins versus Jets this year. Schedule's already come out. Oh, well, okay. We'll have to we'll have to sort that out. <laughs> All right. Speak soon. All right. Thanks a Thank lot. Thank you. Bye bye.